Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Central Wired podcast, and thanks for listening in. Make sure to stay connected with us throughout the week at centralwired.com or on Facebook and Instagram. We hope this week's message meets you right where you're at. Enjoy. Let me hear it if you love Stranger Things. Yes. Now, I got so excited when I found out that we were going to do this series. I got so excited because I knew immediately that the upside down part of the show was the perfect metaphor for the kingdom of God. Now, I want to ask you, how many of you guys have not seen Stranger Things? Not seen it. Okay. I'm going to assume you're either Amish or, or you're, there's just something wrong with you. Because why? Because why? Why wouldn't you stop everything that you're doing and watch this show? As a matter of fact, get up right now. Go. Go and what? No, I'm kidding. Don't go watch the show. What you need to do is you wait till the end of the sermon, and then you leave during the last song like 50 of you normally do. Oh, oh. Was that, did that cut a little too close? Sorry about that. I love Stranger Things. Now, if you, if you don't know anything about it, um, Stranger Things, it's, a, it's kind of a science fiction show. Um, and, the, and the premise is that there is this parallel dimension. Stay with me. There is a parallel dimension that lives right beneath the surface of our reality. And this parallel dimension has, it, it intersects our reality, and it, it, there's, there are these ways that, um, that you could travel back and forth, and, and the show starts with, with some of these, like, the bad guys, the, the, um, the monster kind of things coming through into our reality. Well, at the same time, you got these four boys and this little girl who's like kind of the Christ fig- figure in the whole thing. Did I mention you have to watch this show? If you haven't watched this show, what is wrong with you? Anyway, just kidding. Um, but... These four guys, and it's the 80s. Here's the other thing about the show. It's so awesome because it all happens in the 80s. And if you grew up in the 80s, oh man, it's big hair. It's awesome. It's great music. Um, so anyway, the idea is that these four boys find their way to this other parallel dimension. And what they find is that all of sort of the physical world is sort of the same, except it's extra weird. And, and a lot of the rules are kind of kind of turned around in this other reality, and so they call it the upside down. This other reality is called the upside down, and that's why I know that it was this perfect metaphor for the kingdom of God, because Jesus spent most of his teaching talking about a parallel dimension, an alternate reality, a reality that sits right on top of our reality. He called it a spiritual kingdom. That there is this kingdom that we can interact with that is that's similar to our world, but, but when you get into it, you realize it's kind of weird. And that all of the things that we knew, that we thought we knew in this world are flipped upside down in the other. See, I believe that Jesus did not come to start a religion. He came to usher in an upside down kingdom. I, I really think, I don't think Jesus liked religion at all. I, I don't think that Jesus put off all that was God, took on human form, came to live a perfect life, and then died a, a sinner's death on a cross just so that we could have another world religion. 
As a matter of fact, do you look at the teaching of Jesus? And religion is about as far from what he taught about as you could possibly get. I don't think he came to start a religion. He came to usher in a kingdom. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Those words sound really good and churchy. But I don't even know what they really mean. Do you know what I'm saying? Like we can talk about it. You probably heard it in church. Maybe if you grew up in church, you heard about the kingdom. Jesus talks about the kingdom. And we all like to pretend like we understand what the kingdom of God is. But here's what I'm going to tell you. If you really dig into it, and I've been studying it for a really long time. If you really dig into it, you realize you know less about the kingdom of God than you ever thought that you did. Oh, sure, I know some things. I know some things around the outside of the kingdom of God, but when it comes to, to understanding this, this parallel reality, the actual kingdom that Jesus was trying to teach about, I realize the, the further I dig, the less I understand it. I sure wish, I wish that Jesus would have been one day, he'd been like, all right, disciples, come here. Everybody get out your notebooks, because I'm going to explain the kingdom, A to Z, systematically write this down. He did not do that. Instead, he told stories. He wanted to explain the kingdom of God. He wanted to, to get it across to people. He told stories. Stories would start something like this. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like a man who scatters seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a, a merchant looking for fine pearls. It's like a king looking to settle accounts. It's like another king preparing for a wedding banquet. The kingdom of heaven is like a net. It's like a landowner. It's like yeast. It's like treasure hidden in a field. And he would tell story after story after story after story. And all of those stories had one theme in common. And the theme was, you think you know how things are supposed to work, think again. Every single time he told a story, it took, a, it took conventional wisdom of the day and it flipped it upside down. You think that God only favors the rich and powerful and successful, think again. You think that, that God cares about all of the same things that you care about. Think again. You think that you understand fairness. Think again. And so, for the next few weeks, we're going to live in the upside down. Each week, we're going to take another upside down kingdom story that Jesus spoke and let it flip us. All right? But before we jump into our story for today, let's pray together. Lord, man, we're so grateful to be here in your presence. That we have a chance to sit at the feet of the teacher, Jesus. Would you let his story change us? Would you let, us, let it flip us upside down? In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, the overwhelming Never ending, you know what, sing it, reckless love of God, oh it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99, I couldn't earn it, 
I don't deserve it. Still you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down. It fights till I'm found. It leaves the 99. Now, I had a couple come up to me uh, maybe six or eight months ago. They started coming to our church. They'd been there maybe a year, and uh, they didn't grow up in church, but they were talking to me, and they said, uh, Eric, I love that song. Love that reckless love song. It's such a great song. But can I be honest with you? I have no idea what leaves the 99 means. And we got it. <laughs> we got one over here. Excellent. So they said, I have no idea what leaves the 99 means. Can you, can you explain it to me? Like, I'm singing. And here's what I said. I said, I'm so grateful that you actually care about what you're singing. Right? You're not just singing the words that are on the screen because that's what we do. We come to church and the words are up there and we sing them. Right? No, they're, they want to know, what am I singing to God? Leaves the 99. They had no clue. It reminds me, um, a few years ago, I used to be the worship pastor here at this campus. And a few years ago, I, was, I wrote a song, and uh, it was called Assail Me. Assail. A-S-S-A-I-L me. And um, <clears throat> anyway, it was a song that we started singing, and people seemed to like it. And we were, we'd done it quite a few times, and we were, we were kind of going through it. And one day we were backstage, and it was the whole band and the tech team. And we were just hanging out there between services. And my friend Crystal said, Eric, I just got to tell you, I really love that song, Assail Me. But can I be 100% honest? Um, I do not know what assail means. And in, the, in that exact moment, the entire room was like, yeah, me too. What the heck does a sale mean? And I was like, how do you guys say you like this song? You don't even know what the main word of the song means. They're liars. I'm just kidding. But it, here's the thing. I love that my friends came to me and said, what, is, what the heck does leaves the 99 mean? And here's what I'm going to tell you. If that happens to be you, I'm not going to make you put your hand up. But if that happens to be you, I got you. Today, we're going to talk about where Leaves the 99 came from. All right? So we're going to jump into our story. Uh, and our story happens to come in, in the 15th chapter of Luke. And the first couple of verses we're going to read are just setting the scene for the story. Jesus isn't telling the story yet. We're just going to set the scene for it. Starting at verse 1, it says this. Now, the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so here's the, here's the setting for the story we're going to hear from Jesus. Jesus is hanging out with the wrong people, right? You ever do that? Come on, let's be honest. We all got a few friends who may not be the cream of the moral crop. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, I gotta, we, maybe you got a friend that you play golf with that you know he's super fun, but man, you shouldn't spend too much time with that guy, right? We all have it, but, but here's what we say. I mean, Jesus hung out with messed up people. We can hang out with messed up people too, right? Right. But here's what I'm going to tell you. Jesus' crew was way worse than your crew. Like, you think, you think your crew is bad. I'm, like, you're, you, Jesus wasn't just stopping by for a beer after work with some messed up dudes. Jesus was hanging out with tax collectors. Now, I know that that doesn't sound so terrible to you and me. But I'll, t I'll tell you, 
at the time of Jesus in, in Israel, at the time of Jesus, there, it's hard to overstate how hated tax collectors were. And here's what I'm going to tell you. It wasn't about money. Here's what happened. Uh, Israel at the time was actually uh, an oppressed, occupied territory. The Roman government had come and wiped out any military that the Israelites had and took over. And they did it all over the world. They took over. They would, they would uh, take country after country, territory after territory, and they would be under uh, Roman rule. Now, the Romans were jerks. That's a nice way to put it. They were awful. They did, not, they, they did not believe that all these people that they conquered were fully human. They shouldn't be treated as people. They did not care about the success and prosperity of the places that they conquered. Now, you know what they cared about? Money. Money. Because the more land they conquered, the more people would have to pay taxes back to Caesar. So they'd conquer some more land. Get some more people. Make them pay taxes. There's only one problem with this. When you, Rome, the empire of Rome had spread so far all over the world that there was no possible way that they had enough people in Rome to go around village by village, house by house, collecting taxes for the government. So this is like a logistical nightmare. So what did they do? They hired the locals. Right? So they found somebody in your town, like maybe you grew up in Nazareth like Jesus. And so the Romans would come, they would find somebody in your town, a Jewish person who knows everybody, who grew up with everybody, and that person would get on the Roman payroll and would make sure that everybody paid their taxes to Rome. It really was a great system. Rome was super smart and it worked really well for them. And it worked pretty well for the tax collectors. Not only did they get a nice salary for doing this, but uh, Rome turned a blind eye when they would take extra money and put it in their own pocket. I mean, these guys were bad. These guys were terrible. But again, the reason people hated them wasn't as much about the money as it was about the fact that he, here we live. If you're, a, if you're a mom in Israel at this time, you are petrified that your kid is going to walk to school and do something that's going to tick off a Roman guard. Because your kid isn't fully human. You're petrified that your husband's going to get strung up on a cross. You're petrified all the time. And in this fear, in this place of fear where the, you are occupied by this foreign army, one of your own has turned and taken a job, taking your money and the money of everybody else you know and giving it to that foreign government. It wasn't about money. The problem was tax collectors were collaborators. They were traitors to their people. It is hard to overstate how hated a tax collector was. It's hard to think in our culture about, about somebody who's hated that much. Maybe... Uh, Maybe someone who does something terrible to a child. You ever have, you, you know, you have that thing that comes up in your gut when you hear about something like that, that thing that, that, that verges on hate. It's, it's hard to describe. Maybe it's that, maybe it's, maybe it's a little bit like this. After church today, you go for lunch at Culver's, like 80% of you do, 
No, I'm just kidding. Um, but you go to lunch at Culver's, and there is somebody who's there that you really respect. I mean, somebody you really, really respect. And you walk in, and they are sitting at a table with three other people in the white hoods. You know what I'm talking about? And you walk in, and you're like, what the heck are you doing eating a turtle sundae with the clan? Right? <laughs> Isn't that what you would say? What are you doing? Why on earth? Would you spend your time? Why would you have lunch with the clan? I want you to understand this is exactly how the Pharisees felt as they watched Jesus hanging out with tax collectors. That's how hated they were. What are you doing? And they grumbled. And Jesus knew that they were ticked. And so Jesus told them this parable. Our first upside down kingdom story. Here's what he says. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country? Everybody paying attention? Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And here's what I'm going to tell you. Jesus knew his audience because his audience knows sheep. Because sheep are everywhere. That's just part of the, con- of, the, of the conversation all the time. And so he says, he says, you guys know sheep. If you got a shepherd, and that shepherd has 100 sheep, and he's out in the open country, and one of his sheep, because that shepherd knows every single sheep, and that one of those sheep wanders off and gets lost, isn't that shepherd going to leave the 99 out in the open country to go and find the one? And everybody in the place is like, of course. Duh. That's just what shepherds do. Of course you're going to leave the 99. You're going, to, you're going to leave your flock out there, and you're going to go find the one. And Jesus keeps, everybody's on board now, even the religious people. He's telling this story. Everybody's on board. And he goes on. And he says when, he, when the shepherd finds the sheep, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and his neighbors and together says, and says, rejoice with me. I've found my lost sheep. And everybody's still on board. Of course he would. Because everybody knew that to a shepherd, sheep are everything. They're everything. They're not just their job and their livelihood, though they are that. They're more than that to a shepherd. Now, I, how many of you guys are animal people? All right. I've got to be honest with you. Not much of an animal, per, animal person, personally. I don't really get But I have heard that there are people who love their animals as if they are family. Do I have any of those in the room? I will pray for you. I'm, just, I'm kidding. I'm joking. But I have a theory. You guys want to hear my th- I have a theory about why people love animals. You want to hear my theory? Here's my theory about why people love animals. My theory is that when they meet them, the animals look like this. And this. Or maybe this. And we love them so much, and they're so cute. And then we fall in love, and then they grow up, and they look like this. And this. And this. But we're stuck, because we already fell in love. And so we still love them. It's like with my wife, she is still in love with this, and I used to be cute. <laughs> but I, I think it's the same thing for the shepherds. 
The shepherds, they, they didn't just like, they just didn't need their sheep for money. They, these sheep were their constant companions. They knew every single sheep. They knew them by name. They knew that this one had a little nick on the side of his leg, and they knew how that, got, that sheep got that little nick. Why? Because they, they would go off for days, sometimes weeks, into the open country with their sheep, and nobody else around. They were their constant companions. And so when Jesus says, after this guy leaves the 99 and goes and finds the one and puts it up on his shoulders and comes home and says, everybody celebrate with me because I found my lost sheep. Everybody's like, of course he would, right? Everybody's on the same page. Everybody's with him. And then he says this last sentence and he flips the entire conversation upside down. He says, I tell you that in the same way, the same way that that shepherd goes and gets the sheep and celebrates the one, in that same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. We're going to get back to the moment with Jesus in just a second, but I just want that to wash over our souls for a second. Can we do that? There is more rejoicing in heaven over one adulterer, over one racist, over one abuser who repents than over 99 good people. I don't know about you, that doesn't always sit so fine with me. Because shouldn't God love or like good people more than he likes bad people? Doesn't that just make sense? God should love good people more than he loves bad people. Because God is good, and if I get good, then I'm more like God, and he will like me more. That just makes sense to us. Unfortunately, you read this story, seems to be kind of the opposite. And it begs the question... Who does God care about more? Who does God care about more? Does God, does he care more about your dirtbag boss or you? Does he care more, does God care more about your sister who drains the life out of you or your brother who's the kindest, most generous person? Who does God care about more, the good people or the bad people? (laughs) The good people. (laughs) Doesn't that make sense? A kid understands that feels like how it should be. But here we go. This Jesus is going to flip it upside down. So here Jesus sits. He's there. He's sitting with the KKK. Do you hear what I'm saying? Not the K, but he's sitting with the worst of the worst. And the Pharisees just can't imagine a world in which this man who is a teacher, who who performs the miracle that he performs, could possibly spend time with this traitorous group of people. And he could have stood up and given them an argument, but instead he tells them a story, and the story is about sheep. And at the end of the story about sheep, he, he drops a bomb. And the bomb, I used to be a math teacher, and so... We're going to have a little math in here. But the bomb looks like this. It's like an inequality. One repenting sinner is greater 
the 99 righteous saints. Right? That's the, that's the, the punchline of Jesus' story. One repenting sinner is greater than 99 righteous saints. Now this, I, I, this little inequality, it does not prove that God likes bad people more than good people. What it shows is that God values change over righteousness. That he values movement over goodness. That he values becoming over being. You see, it's it's not that sinner is greater than saint. It's that repentance is greater than righteousness. You see, there is something in the changing heart of a human being that moves heaven to rejoice. Can I say that again? There is something in the changing heart of a human being that moves heaven to rejoice. It is not about how far you've come on the journey. It is about what God is doing in you right now. It's changing in you right now. It's moving in you right now. Because we are all lost sheep. If you don't know that, if you think you're not, oh baby, you're part of the 99. Remember where he left them. Because here's the thing. I don't know if you think about this. I think, I think a lot of us thought that the way that our, our connection with God should have looked like is we, we were lost and then we're found and we stay found. Right? Till we die. But that's not, that's not how life is. The truth is, life with Jesus turns out to be a series of waves of being found and lost and found and lost and found and lost and found and lost. And there's a moment that I, that, I, that I walk away from God and he draws me back in. And then in another part of my life, maybe I got that figured out, but in another part of my life, I wander off and God draws me back in. Lost and found and lost and found. That is the, that's the wave. That is the, the rhythm of life. The problem is once you've been doing it for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, you look back and you think, I haven't gotten anywhere. Anybody ever feel like that? Holy moly, I've been doing this you know, so many years, I haven't gotten anywhere. Where am I? I haven't gotten, I am not, I haven't been somewhere. I am not part of the 99 who don't need to repent. What's going on? The problem is, there was never a place to get. It doesn't exist. Getting there in this life doesn't exist. But here's the good news. The good news is that there is joy. That the joy is not found in in the being there. The joy is in the getting there. The joy isn't in having things all together. The joy is in the change. The joy is in the repentance. I, I believe I believe that our church has this right. Our church isn't perfect, but our church is pretty great. Let's be real. 
Our church is pretty great, but we got this right. And here's why. You will never see us walk somebody up on stage, put them up here, and us say, hey, everybody, look at this guy. He has been a good person for 30 years. Everybody give him a round of applause. Right? No, we would never do that. Because that doesn't, I mean, maybe that would be worth celebrating, but that's not what lights our fire. You know what lights our fire? That. The baptistry. That's what lights our fire. What happens in there is what lights our fire. When somebody whose life has been decimated by divorce, when somebody whose life has been decimated by addiction, by anything else that crushes the life that God has for us, when somebody's life has been decimated and they get in that uh, baptistry and they say, I am not going to be this person anymore. I'm new. I'm changing. I'm becoming. I'm moving. I'm growing. That's what we celebrate. Yeah. Okay. That's what we celebrate. Because it's the heart of Jesus. It is not about where we've gotten to. It's about what is he doing right now. And so Jesus, sitting there with the worst of the worst, he says to the religious people who judged him, you think you know what matters to God. Think again. You think you know who matters to God. Think again. You think that God only cares about good people? It's about getting there? Think again. Jesus says that in the upside down kingdom, movement is what matters. In the upside down kingdom, it's not about how far you've come. It's about where you're going. In the upside down kingdom, it is not about who you are. It's about who you're becoming. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we, we want to be becoming. Would you help us to to fight our urge to just want to be good, to just want to be part of the 99 who think we don't have to repent. God, would you help us to celebrate our need for movement, our need for change, our need for growth? Would you help us to celebrate it, not be anxious about it or annoyed by it? Would you help us to celebrate whatever it is you need to do in us to change us, right here and right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's what I know. We're going to sing this song. We're going to sing that uh, <clears throat> reckless love song. And, uh, you know, I think that we could, I think we could think about a lot of things, but here's what I wanted to ask you. I wondered, uh, in that cycle today, I wonder where you find yourself. Do you feel found or do you feel lost? Because you know you're going to be found at some point. You're going to be lost at some point. But where are you today? Do you feel lost? And I wondered if you felt lost. Here's what I want to remind you of. I want to remind you of the reckless love of God. That if you are the one who walked away, the one who wandered off, he's not angry. All of the rules that we think we have about God and love, Jesus keeps flipping upside down. He's not angry. He doesn't expect you to fix yourself. 
in order to come back to him. The reckless love of God breaks down all barriers. Whatever, re whatever reason you have conjured up in your mind for why you're lost and you can't be found, it is a lie. Because the reckless love of God chases you down, fights until you're found, leaves everybody behind who thinks they've got it all together because he is after you. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. But this is it. This is the reckless love. So why don't you stand with me? And if God is saying, you're lost, I need you found. Do the work. If you came with somebody today and God is doing something in your heart, don't come talk to me. Come, go and talk to them. Talk to them. Tell them what God is doing in your heart. I'll be down here. You're welcome to come talk to me. We have our prayer team. You're welcome to talk to them. But I'm telling you, if God's doing something in your heart and saying, you have wandered, he's not saying, you have wandered. He's saying, you've wandered. You're lost. That's okay. That's part of the rhythm. Let's get you found. Let's pray one more time. God, you are so good. Would you find us here? We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us. Just a reminder to stay connected with us throughout the week at centralwire.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for being with us and have a great week.